Hello to our Mayo Clinic Care Network members. Welcome to Key Into Quality, a Mayo Clinic podcast focused on healthcare quality, experience, and affordability trends and solutions. This podcast aims to help you take some of those first steps towards understanding and improving quality challenges in your organization. Thank you for joining us. I am Timothy Morgenthaler, the Vice Chair of Mayo Clinic Quality and Affordability. I'm also the co-director of the Center for Sleep Medicine and a professor of medicine at Mayo Clinic College of Medicine. As your host, I'm delighted to share with you the latest information on a topic that matters most to you and to our patients, maintaining the highest healthcare quality and affordability standards. In this inaugural episode, we will delve into the topic of high-level disinfection of medical instruments. We know that failure to correctly perform high-level disinfection, also known as HLD, places our patients at risk for exposure to and infection with pathogens, some of which can be multi-drug resistant. It's very challenging for perioperative personnel to keep up with all of the newly released evidence and guidelines aimed at improving safe practices. In a recent safety report, the Joint Commission concluded that processes for high-level disinfection of equipment and devices are often inadequately performed, particularly in ambulatory care centers and other non-operative environments. Their report clearly highlights high-level disinfection as an area for improvement, and I know some of you have found this to be the case when the Joint Commission comes and visits. The question we aim to answer today is, how can we improve our disinfection practices to ensure patient safety? Joining us today is Cheryl Weisbrod, the Midwest Vice Chair for Nursing Surgical Services. Cheryl and I have known each other a long time. She joined Mayo Clinic in Minnesota as a staff nurse more than 40 years ago, and she's held multiple nurse leadership positions over the past 30 years and has served in many areas, including pediatrics, gastroenterology, orthopedics, and especially in the operating room. She has led and served on numerous nursing and surgical committees at Mayo Clinic. And the reason that I've asked her here today is because she serves on the Midwest Sterile Processing and High-Level Disinfection Oversight Committee. Welcome, Cheryl. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me today. Oh. Well, Cheryl, you've played a key leadership role in Mayo Clinic's improvement efforts to improve high-level disinfection. And I, I remember, actually, that you started this work quite a number of years ago. Uh, in that time, I've, I've certainly learned a lot from you and others that this is very complicated. And I know we've made a lot of progress, but our work is, is not yet done. Uh, what I remember is that when our efforts became sort of more focused on HLD, that we found that things were done quite differently in various areas across the Rochester campus. And uh, our understanding of that even grew as we thought about what the situation was across all of the Mayo Clinic enterprise. And eventually, I know that uh, in large part through your leadership, our efforts resulted in the formation of the Medical Device Sterilization and Disinfection Oversight Subcommittee. My understanding is that the that team is responsible for the oversight of medical device processing, sterilization, and high-level disinfection at all Mayo Clinic locations. The subcommittee holds the enterprise oversight, accountability, and authority as delegated by the Mayo Clinic Clinical Practice Committee. So our listeners will want to learn from your experience. As you consider how this quality journey unfolded, what were some of the key early learning moments? Well, it, it definitely was an unfolding and learning experience for those of us that started this process. Our team of what eventually became experts began by going to the areas where the frontline staff were engaged in doing sterile processing, high-level disinfection, to watch, observe, see what, how they were 
handling instruments, what the flow was like. And from those first observations, we did find there were gaps, um, differences in processes, and things that, yes, we did need to improve. We searched for available resources to provide recommendations on proper process flow and steps in processing, and used information from resources like AMI, which is the Association for Advanced Medical Instrumentation, AORN, which is the Association for Perioperative Registered Nurses, Joint Commission, of course, also SGNA, which is the um, Gastroenterology Nurse Association, and um, CDC and others that were are more common commonly known. We found uh, that there were many learning opportunities, much information out there about things that our staff in the front lines didn't know, like instructions for use, abbreviated as IFUs. Every manufacturer, when they develop instrumentation, has to develop a manual or several-page document telling us how to use that instrumentation, how to clean that instrumentation, and how to store that instrumentation. And many of us were not aware of those instructions for use, and certainly our staff weren't. And it is one of the questions Joint Commission will ask a direct frontline caregiver. Do you know what the instructions for use are, and can you follow them? Um, these IFUs are tested by manufacturers to assure that their products can actually be cleaned. And when we purchase an instrument or an endoscope now, we ask the manufacturer to attach their IFUs so that we can look through and see, do we have the right processing area to actually clean that instrumentation or scope? And sometimes we don't. Sometimes we have to say, nope, we, don't have, we can't do that here. That causes a little... Um, unrest sometimes amongst the requesters that are asking for a new piece of equipment, but we ask them to dig in more, go back to the manufacturer, and ask for instructions for use that we can actually follow. Yeah, boy, uh, that that was one of the things I remember uh, when you came back and reported to uh, the oversight committees that um, space, properly built space, was a big impediment to uh, achieving all of the goals for the various uh, forms of equipment. Uh, can you remind me of what some of those issues and solutions were? Yeah, what we found when we were doing our direct observations is that the places that use instruments and endoscopes, um, the, the various clinics and procedural areas, because they wanted convenience, they would develop a little processing area, take a closet and develop a little processing area in their space and say, this is where we're gonna wash scopes or this is where we're gonna wash instruments. But those rooms were too small. There wasn't separation of clean and dirty. And our oversight group now has, um, we have the, the authority or the responsibility to review all of those building plans when new spaces are built. And when we look at those um, blueprints, we look for flow diagrams. So our, our co-chair, Dr. Robert Seema, will say, I want to see the arrows on the diagrams. Show me the arrows so that you're not crossing clean and dirty pathways. And that was one of the first times that anybody ever 
looked at space that's being used for cleaning and didn't just see it as, oh, it's just some place that we have to clean something. No, it's some place that has to, we have to have adequate space and the proper space that we can follow all the steps. Wow. So, so having the instructions for the actual equipment or how it is intended to be cleaned and then knowing that you have uh, the right spaces where it can be, uh, the processes can be followed as designed. And in fact, I also remember your group kind of finding that there, boy, there were a lot of different processes being followed, sometimes for the same equipment. Uh, how has that been approached? There were a lot of different processes being followed. And over time, we, we, we do annual audits of each of the processing spaces now. There's a, a team of nurses from surgical services that go out and do audits at each of these spaces. It takes a lot of time. It's several pages long. And in Rochester alone, there's 75 processing spaces. I think uh, with the health system, which is we also cover the Midwest health system, and Florida and Arizona on a less frequent basis. But with all of those spaces, uh, doing processing 100 plus, 150 plus different sites doing processing. And one of the things that CPC had charged us with is let's reduce the number of sites that we're processing in. We have, over the past couple of years, reduced the, the sites that do processing. We now transport through a company that Mayo has hired to do transportation of scopes and instrumentation and bring it back to more centralized places. Some of the newer scopes that we purchase and are, that are requested have 90 plus processing steps. Whoa. So watching somebody do all of those steps takes a lot of time. And concentration, I imagine. Um, yes, takes a lot of time and concentration. So we do an audit, then send the results back to the unit and say, okay, we've done the audit, here's your results, here's our recommendations for improvement, and please submit your action plans for improvement back to us by such and such a date. And has this process uh, you know, been helping bring things under some standardization and higher degree of precision? Yes, I think it has. It, we still find that as we go to each of these sites, you'll for instance, go to a health system site and someone from the health system will say, oh, I didn't know that we, that you wanted to know where we process the probes. Well, yes, we do. We want to know where we process everything. So uh, different sites get added all the time. The but details. Yes, yes, the details. Well, Cheryl, it seems like we've made so much progress in this area. And I know that the work in this space is so vital to patient safety. I mean, nothing... Uh, uh, can be more important than keeping our patients safe. Looking forward, do you have some key messages for all of our listeners that are involved in this work? I think the thing that that helped us the most was being present and going out there and rubbing shoulders with the people that are actually doing the processing, looking at what they're doing, watching what they're doing. That helped us develop the audit tools that we use. Our internal audit group even uses the same tool that my auditing team does. And the internal audit group actually has come along with us now on different audits of different sites. So we've learned over time that it is very important to be present and engaged with the staff that are doing the processing. And it's very important to assure competency and repeat whatever education or information you're learning because those instruments are changing every year 
sometimes more frequently than that, and so are the steps for processing. So it's ongoing education. You know, one of the things that you mentioned earlier that I just want to repeat for our, our uh, listeners here is you mentioned uh, the, the three letters CPC. And for us, that's the Clinical Practice Committee, which yes. is sort of our empowerment decision-making committee for all clinical practice-related issues. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, for you to really go and do those audits and have the, the authority, in essence, and the oversight uh, for those, you really need to be empowered by a leadership, either group or individual, such as the CPC. Is that? Yes, that's true. Yeah. It was with the the former chair of CPC, Dr. Mike Harper, who said, I want to be sure that we don't see some of the things that other institutions are getting noted for in the news. I want to be sure that doesn't happen at Mayo Clinic. Thank you so much, Cheryl. Again, our guest today has been Cheryl Weisbrod, Midwest Vice Chair for Nursing Surgical Services. I really look forward to having you back in the future where we can take a deeper dive into some of the more important topics we discussed today. You have just been such a tremendous resource to us at Mayo Clinic. Thank you for your leadership, your partnership, your willingness to share your knowledge with our listeners. Thank you for having me. So we've come to the end of our first podcast. We're glad that you could join us, and and we hope that the information we provided is insightful and valuable to you. Again, Mayo Clinic's Key into Quality podcast aims to help you take some of those first steps towards understanding and improving quality challenges in your organization. Join us the next time when we discuss leapfrog measures and provide helpful tips on submitting data. The development of this podcast, it's a part of our effort to be a valued resource to members of the Mayo Clinic Care Network. Our goal is to improve quality for patients and the populations we all serve. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know by visiting the Mayo Clinic Care Network website quality page. Until next time, thank you for keying into quality at Mayo Clinic.